Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings again in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach and the name of Jesus the Christ. Today we are going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we are just going to start right into the chapter. I would encourage you to go back and listen to chapters 1 through 3, and then study along with us. See 2 Corinthians as a letter, not divided up into chapters and verses, but a flow of thought is so important that you see it as a letter, as a whole unit, and study the whole unit. Today we're going to start in chapter 4, what is designated as chapter 4, and let's read the first three verses and then we will discuss them, or instead let's read the first six verses. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now, a lot of vocabulary there. Very much. But a single understanding flowing out of chapter 3, the same thought process is continuing here about really the superiority of knowing Christ and coming into understanding who Christ, he is the image of God. And if you look at verse 5, the image of God, think about the tablets of stone. One of the Ten Commandments is do not make any image in all of creation to represent God. Now, when Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments that was written by the finger of God on tablets of stone, and the glory came all over him, what are the Israelites doing down in the valley, in the plain, who are not up on the mountain? What are they doing? They are creating an image. Creating an image of the God they wanted. Yes, a God that... I would say it this way, a God that they could see, they could touch, they could visualize, they could go to, in India we say do their puja, their worship, to represent the God that brought them out of Egypt. They wanted an image. And God is saying to Moses, do not allow the people to ever make an image in all of creation to represent who I am. How can you create an image out of wood and stone, an image in the heavens, an image of gold, silver, bronze, anything 
that would begin to even understand who God is. Mm-hmm. And this image is something that we see all the way through the history of Israel, that they were constantly trying to make an image to represent who God is. Even in the divided kingdom, Jeroboam created an image. He created a golden calf, put it up in Dan, Don, and Bethel, and created religious centers so that the Israelites would not go to Jerusalem and go down to the temple where they would have divided allegiance. But he created an image so the Israelites in the north would come to the golden calf and say, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. This is the image that represents God, a calf. Can you imagine creating an image of a cow to represent the God of all creation? And could you imagine God's response to that? Literally, God looking at Jeroboam going, really, this is what you're going to choose to do. It's really interesting that you say that because coming back to 2 Corinthians 3 that we just were speaking of in a previous podcast, verse 5 says not that we are adequate to ourselves. It's interesting that the people of Israel were constantly wanting to make images themselves that were adequate to describe their God. They were trying to find their adequacy inside of themselves, inside of their imagination. And this is what Paul keeps coming back to. Yeshua, the Christ, is the image of God. Yes. Your adequacy does not come from yourself. It comes from who he is. He is the firstborn, the first fruits. He is the one who God has decided is the image of for you to look at, not the cows, not the raw. No other person or image can be Yeshua. Yet still to this day, we still have our images of what we think that God is. Yes, and you talk about the deity of the Messiah. To think what Paul's going to say later, many years later to the Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God. Hmm. So you want to know God. You want to know who God is. You want to know his righteousness, his holiness, his character. It's in his Messiah, his Christ, the suffering servant that laid down his life as a lamb being led to the slaughter, Isaiah 53. This is God revealing who he is, his great love for all of his creation. The redemption comes through his Messiah, and there's no separation between the Father and the Son. And this is what Jesus says, if you would have known the Father, you would know who I am. As you see the Son, you have seen the Father. And so as we look at Christ, he is the image of God. And God has revealed himself in these last days completely and totally and perfectly through his Son. And there's no other way to understand God and his great salvation outside of the Messiah, his Messiah, his son, the one that he has installed, the one that all nations and all peoples come to serve. It is only through Christ that can we truly know God. We can know his forgiveness. We can know his mercy. We can know his love. We can know his judgment that is coming through his son to this world. He is the image of God. Which is why in verse 4 it says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they may not see that image. His goal is so that the unbelievers in this world, so that you and I, going all the way to Revelation, even the elect, let's do, the God of this world wants to do his best. To deceive. To deceive, to veil the eyes of, the, of anyone he can 
so that we don't see the image of God. But that's the whole purpose of why Paul is writing these letters. Going back to chapter 3, it's where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. That veil does not have to be there. You can know the Messiah. Yes, and I and I believe, Chris, that he still is in the thought process of the tablets of stone versus the tablets on our hearts. That makes sense. Because verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, coming out of the context of chapter 3, mm-hmm. who is veiled? People that are looking back to the law of Moses. It is veiled to those who are perishing. The law of Moses cannot bring eternal salvation. It was brought forth in glory, but it is faded away. It has brought us to the Messiah, and the Messiah, Christ, is the image of God. And when we come to Christ, the veil is lifted, and we live in liberty, and we live in freedom to know God, to worship God, and to walk in His ways. The same thought process is coming through what he is saying in chapter 4. Now let's go to verses 7 through 11 and talk about how we minister this gospel in these earthen vessels that we have. Verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh." And let's talk about that. But let me read verse 12. So death works in us, but life in you. So let's look at this. Let's look at Paul. Let's look in uh, the first chapter. He talks, the first and second chapter, about going through an experience that they thought they were going to die. And they're going through persecution because of their faith. And they're ministering the gospel in freedom and liberty, but what's happening to them physically in these mortal bodies? They're going through a lot of persecution. But through a life in the Spirit, if it's just about tablets of stone, we're out of here. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not worth it. But a life in the Spirit, even though that we're being persecuted, we're not forsaken. We understand that. Even though that we are struck down, we're not destroyed. Even though that we carry about in the body, our physical bodies, the dying of Jesus, I really believe he's talking about all the persecution that they are going through before the sake of Christ. They're bringing the gospel to people that have a veil that are perishing, but they're presenting the image of God, of Christ, the glory of God through this new covenant, Mm -hmm. and their physical bodies are being beat up. And you also see that uh, in Romans chapter 8 about the redemption of our bodies in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He spent several 
uh, verses in this book. And, and again, I love how you bring up every time that this letter was not originally split up into verses and chapters. So we have to think earlier in this letter to the church in Corinth, he is constantly talking about the glory and the glory that is now written on the tablets of our heart and the mercy that we've received. Chapter 3, verse verse 11 speaks of the glory. Verse 12 talks about having such a hope. So when it comes to chapter 4, verse 6, forgot, or verse 7, but we have this treasure. What are, what is he talking about? Everything else he's just talked about. Yes. The glory, the hope, the mercy, all of these things. A life in the spirit. All of these things we have as the life of the spirit. But why do we have them? We have them because of the Messiah. We have been, we have been granted that life, not because of tablets of stone, but because that has now been written on the tablets of our heart. And he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. It makes me think of the parable that Jesus talked about with new wine, putting it into old wineskins. I've heard a statement that says you can't take your dark old self into a bright new future. It's like so many of us don't really understand the glory that has been put inside of us, not because of ourselves. Going back to chapter three, where he talks about we've only been given our adequacy through the Messiah. But I think it's really important for us to remember Jesus did not give us a lack of glory. He didn't give us a lack of hope. He didn't give us a lack of mercy. Verse seven specifically, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And that's when he goes into exactly what you were talking about. Our bodies are perplexed. Our bodies are persecuted. But I think Paul in the back of his mind keeps coming back to but we were given the hope. Yes. We were given the glory of the and Messiah. And we go from glory to glory. He yep. talks about this glorious gospel that we have with inside of us through a life in the Spirit. It is a treasure. We walk in freedom and liberty, and we walk in completeness in Christ. That he's going to say in other letters, I stand complete in Christ. And we see that in Galatians. That doesn't mean that the world is going to accept it. The world is going to enjoy it. In fact, there will be persecution that comes for anyone that's connected to Christ. And John chapter 15 is so important that you understand the words of Jesus. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they hated me, they will hate you. The more that we're connected to the vine and we abide in him, the more of the reaction that takes place of the world against us. But Jesus says, I've told you in advance that these things will take place, talking to his disciples. And what is John 16? the promise of the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, that will come. I'm not going to leave you helpless, but I'm going to send one that will comfort you, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth, and he will convict the world concerning sin, judgment, and righteousness. But he will be with us. He will glorify Christ. And so he's not going to leave us without the Spirit of God to go through these things. And even though... They are getting persecuted to the point in chapter 1, they thought they were about to die. Mm -hmm. Now, we do not know the specifics of what took place, but these are real issues that he's facing, Titus is facing, Timothy is facing, Silas and earlier Barnabas and others that traveled, Luke with him, that are facing death. And when we get later on into uh, him describing some of the things that he's gone through. Do you know at this time, at the writing of this letter, five times he's received lashes? Mm. So wow. think about that. Five times 
being beaten up or in the sense of whipped as a judgment against him. Mm. So he's been shipwrecked. He's had to uh, go through lots of conflict, traveling in danger. The roads of that day were dangerous. Robbers and thieves, at any time you could be killed in that day if you didn't have proper protection. And sometimes he wasn't able to travel with a caravan. Mm-hmm. So it was just he and, and his group traveling together. And also he had the concern of the churches constantly yeah. praying, seeking God, praying for them. So it was a life in the flesh that was a hard life that he was going through. But the treasure that he has inside, even though I love the faith that he has, and I want to read it one more time, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, praise God, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Amen. The faith that he has to keep on going forward Every time he gets beat up, every time there's an obstacle, and God brings them through, instead of destroying their faith, it's building their faith. Exactly. If I can speak to one thing, too, that I see happening in Christianity at large today that is that is very discouraging, I can see Paul almost, uh, almost wondering... He's almost helping us guard this before it happens. We, we see in Christianity today, many of us want to wait to plant the right seeds until we face the trials, right? So Paul, if you notice, Paul was prepared. I love how Jesus said it, just like you said in John 15 and 16, you're going to have trials. You're going to have persecution. He's preparing ahead of time. Where we need to come back to is the faith of Paul, where he said, I know I'm going to face trials, but I'm going to be prepared ahead of time. My faith will be strong. My hope will be secure. I know what's coming and I'm ready to face it. Where today, I feel like many times we can, our faith can be shallow to where it tends to be based on our circumstances. Now, explain why shallow. Because what, yes. uh, Go ahead. Why? Why are we producing a faith that is still babies and shallow? From what I see, it's a lack of a root foundation in scripture. Yes. Is ultimately what it comes down to. We're looking for our faith to be founded in other places besides the one place it's supposed to be founded, which is the truth of God given to us in the word of God. And so what happens is from what I see, many tend to believe that our faith is based on circumstances. And if my circumstances don't go well, then somehow God is at fault. Or somehow my faith must be misplaced. Sometimes we need to recognize if we're living out the life in Christ that you talked about in the last podcast and even into this one, there will be persecution. We need to be ready ahead of time and not be tossed around like James said with the wind. And it needs to be communicated and understood by the believer on the front end. Not something that, because a lot of times we preach a gospel that is true. You come to Christ, you will have peace, you will have joy, you will have the blessings of God. And yet we leave it there and we don't even understand that, yes, I have peace and I have joy and I am blessed in the Messiah. I will never be more blessed than I am right now in Christ. And this life that I live is a life as I'm abiding in him that the world will reject and the world will persecute me. 
Now, in some places of the world, they understand that. You don't even have to teach it. It is a reality from the very beginning. But in Europe, in America, it's starting to be understood. But we have lived in such a time growing up that if you came to Christ, you were encouraged, not just from your family, not from your church family, but you were encouraged by society. But now believers are starting to understand that there's a price to be paid for your faith in Christ. And that reality is coming that I think will produce a stronger faith, a stronger commitment. It is a weeding out sometimes of who is serious and who is not serious. Mm -hmm. And what is important for Paul is Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. and following him. What should be important for the new believer, for my life, for your life, is faith in Christ and living a life that brings honor to God by following the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else is secondary. Everything. And in church in America, everything sometimes is built on a church growth model that everything is about me and how God will fulfill my destiny and my desires and give me my job promotion and and build (laughs) build me up and make me successful. And we're seeing success through the eyes of the world and not through the eyes of God. Because Paul would have never been successful according to the American church today. Exactly. Never would have been. Paul's version of success, you know what his version of success is? Is exactly what you read in 8 and 9. We're afflicted in every way. Success. Because we're not crushed. Yes. We're perplexed. Why? Because we have a firm foundation. We stood for the image of God, which was Messiah. And because we did that, we were persecuted, we're not forsaken, we're struck down, not destroyed. In motivational speech Amen. today, it said it's not how many times you get knocked down. It's, but here's the deal. Paul sees what Christ said, that you will be persecuted for my namesake. Many of us today, we wear a shirt or attend a church in another country. or it, We do the smallest act. We see a little bit of persecution and it crushes us. Paul said, you have to have a firm foundation in Scripture. Know the image of God in Christ, and you won't be crushed. You won't be forsaken and destroyed. That's, that's what I love about this, because that's the success. Is Paul says, I faced these things, I stood my ground, and I will keep going forward. Yes, and let me read verse 10 that goes along with what you're saying. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus. Mm so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Hmm. He understands the physical persecution that he is going through. In the American church, in the Western church, success is how big of a building and property and how many people are sitting there listening to you preach and teach. Success in the eyes of God is building the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And whatever it takes... And whatever we have to go through of keeping our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, that we're following him. One man plants, another man waters, but Mm -hmm. it's God that brings the increase. And so just being faithful to God to take this gospel and fulfill what God has called us to do. In Paul's life, it was to lay the foundation, and the foundation was Christ. And be careful of how you build upon that foundation, he says in his first letter. Mm -hmm. So it should be a challenge to us to get strong. I like how Jeremiah, how God speaks to Jeremiah when he's complaining about how difficult it is. And he says to Jeremiah, 
if I can remember the right way to quote it, if you have run with the footmen, how are you going to compete against the horses? Hmm. If you fall down in the land of peace, how will you do when you're standing in the Jordan River and it begins to swell? Hmm. What God is saying to Jeremiah, it's going to get worse. It's going to go to the point that even your family is going to be speaking lies to you and they're going to be plotting with their own, your own home village of how to kill you. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Jeremiah, you get stronger. And you see that in the life of Paul. He is struck down, but when he says, I'm struck down, I'm not destroyed. And every time you get struck down, you get back up, you keep your eyes on Jesus, and you keep going forward. And that's where we need to be in the Western culture. Mm -hmm. That's where the believers in Israel need to be. The believers in India need to be. Now, in a place like India, where we live for almost 11 years, they get knocked down all the time. They get put into prison. They get beat up. They have to go through things that we never go through here in the American church, but it is coming here. And we have to get strong and embrace this life. That's something that you're seeing that Paul is doing. We embrace this life. This is what God has Mm -hmm. called us to do. Now, verse 12, so death works in us. I believe what he is saying, death is always right before us. It's working in us by the physical persecution that we're going in, but life in you. Mm Mm-hmm. So they're seeing the persecution of Paul and others, but there's this life that is working within the Corinthian church that comes through the Spirit of God. So it's not about this going through this persecution. It's about the joy that they see of the life of Christ within the believers at Corinth. Because it's written on the hearts. Because it's written on the hearts. That's the life. The life is the life of Christ in every one of us written on your hearts. That's why the life is in us. We have to keep coming back to that. Amen. Well, let's continue. Let's read verses 13 through the end of the chapter. And uh, Chris, if you don't mind reading these verses. Would love to. Verse 13, but having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. There's so much power in that verse. We'll come back to it. Verse 15, for all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, it's one of my favorite words in all of scripture is therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen. You look at verse 13, quoting from Psalm 116, we're going to keep on speaking in the midst of persecution. That is the context of 116. I believe, therefore, I spoke. I had a friend of mine recently, uh, Chris, that said, my family doesn't want me to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And they asked me never to speak in the name of Jesus. And I said, okay, I'll never speak in the name of Jesus. And I got on to him. Hmm. And I said, 
no, you shouldn't have said that. You should have said, no, I will speak through my life and I will take every opportunity in the right way to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you reject me for that, that is you rejecting me. And I think about Romans chapter 4 when they told Paul and, and not Paul, Peter and John, Peter and John. not to mm-hmm. speak in the name of Jesus anymore. They said, Jesus of Nazareth, they said, we will not stop speaking of the things that we have seen and the things that we have heard. And here, Paul is coming out of this affliction and being struck down and all the physical abuse and persecution. And he is saying in verse 13, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. We're not going to stop speaking Mm -hmm. as we're going through this affliction. Because of the gospel that is so precious, the eternal things of God is our focus, not the temporal things. If it was the temporal things, you would just say, hey, okay, I'm not going to speak anymore. I want to have a good relationship with you. But no one's going to take away this glorious gospel. I have faith. I believe I'm going to speak. Very true. And I come back to verse 14. A lot of this passage of scripture comes back to trust and comes back to faith. Do we really believe that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will raise us up also? Amen. Many times I think if we don't, tr- I've, I've asked this question a lot recently. And again, I can really only speak to the Western audience as much. And, and I'm going to try to make this general enough. But a lot of what I see today is people say that they trust God, but I don't know that it comes out in their life. They say that they trust God for their finances or their possessions. Yet in their lifestyle, they live with fear and constant worry and anxiety. Or maybe, maybe they say, I believe that God is my peace, yet I live in constant uncertainty. I've been trying to help people through mentoring and coaching at our local church, help them understand that trust in God must come out in your lifestyle. It must come out in the way that you act, in the way that you feel, in the way that you speak. It, that's the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is produced. It's not magically given. This is not one of those things where we come to Christ and instantly we have full love, joy. These things are being produced in us through a process of becoming more like Christ. So verse 14 for me is all about trust. Knowing, I can almost hear Paul say the certainty in knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also. That's something that I see right now. We need to really keep walking out our walk with the Messiah until we truly trust. Yes. And until it comes out in every part of our lives. And look at verse 16, renewed day by day, Mm. a daily growing, a daily producing the fruit of God, the fruit of the Spirit, something that is just not automatically happening, but through a life in the Spirit, the law written on our hearts, a relationship with God, through Christ, who is the image of God, going through all these physical persecutions that they're going through. But we're being renewed day by day in the inner man. It's beautiful. And so verse 15, they're not, look at verse 13, they're not going to stop speaking. Mm -hmm. They have faith in verse 14. Chapter 15, they want to see more and more people to come to know this glorious gospel. And chapter 16 Even though our physical outer man is decaying, our our inner man is being renewed day by day. Hmm. So what is important 
is not that I'm receiving physical blessing. Right. And that's the emphasis so much within the Western context of success and what is important. I get people all the time that say, I want to bless you. I want to give you a blessing. I want to say I'm already blessed. I'll never be more blessed than I am right now in the Messiah. I know what they're saying, but I am blessed. Thank you for your gift, but I am blessed. But what should be our emphasis is what God is doing through our lives to see more and people come to know him, being used by God, fulfilling our calling of what God has asked us to do. And even though physically we're decaying, Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Day by day, we're getting stronger, refreshed because of what God is doing by His Spirit in our lives. It's a beautiful process. And when you really, I I love the way that you laid this out. Verse 13, I continue to speak. Verse 14, I have faith and trust that God will raise us up. Verse 15, that spreads to more people. Verse 16, I am consistently renewed day by day. And the one word that keeps coming to my mind is focus. Because verse 17, momentary light affliction. So many people in the world today see their current condition through zoomed in eyes. All that I can see is my current affliction. So it looks large. It doesn't look light or momentary. One of my favorite statements, especially in the year that we're in this year, is that days seem long and years seem short. The days I'm walking through, my current affliction seems so large, yet time passes so fast. Yes, And I think that's almost what Paul's saying here is focus on Christ, not on your afflictions. Listen to this process. We speak, we trust, we're renewed constantly. And because of that focus, now I can have the focus that my light momentary afflictions don't redefine my God. They don't redefine success. They, They only get in the way of my view. And think about the light afflictions. He's calling them light afflictions, but later on when we read them, we're saying, wow, (laughs) how could you go through this? But in his mindset, light afflictions. And we're taught that we should avoid afflictions. And this is something I hope that stays with everyone. If we are going to get the work done that God has called us to do, we cannot run away from afflictions. We cannot run away from the fight. When Paul is going to Jerusalem, there is a prophecy that they're going to bind him up. He's going to be bound when he goes to Jerusalem. He says, but this is the will of God. It was a confirmation of what's going to take place in Jerusalem, and he's going to be in jail from three to four years, Mm. two years in Caesarea, two years under house arrest in Rome. If we're going to get the work done that God has called us to do, These afflictions, these light afflictions, whatever they may be, we have to be ready to embrace it. And we're told, well, if you have wisdom, you won't get yourself into a bad situation. Well, if that's the case, then Paul, you shouldn't have gone to Jerusalem. Paul had no wisdom if that was the case. Right. (laughs) So it's not that there's something wrong with someone that's looking to be persecuted. Right. But what I am saying, as we look at the work that God's called us to do, Someone's going to have to go to Iran. Someone's going to have to be in Afghanistan. Someone's going to have to be in the Middle East sharing the gospel. People are going to have to go to India. People, 
I shouldn't say have to. They have the opportunity to do that. People need to be in communist countries, Marxist countries, Islamic countries, Hindu, Buddhist countries, and there will be affliction as you take this glorious gospel to them, and there's a price to be paid. If we think that that's not part of what God's asking us to do. We're really missing the big picture. But these are light afflictions, and we need to focus on the eternal things of God, not the temporary things which we can see. Which is actually going to be the last point that I really wanted to bring up is how how could Paul say these are momentary light afflictions? It's because of where his focus was. It wasn't at the afflictions. It was, and what did he say? The momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He's saying where my eyes are right now, nothing compares. There is no cost too heavy. Everything is light. Why? But how does the chapter end? The things which are not seen are eternal. He had his eyes on eternity. He had his eyes on the goal like Jesus did. Yes. Like the Messiah did. Paul said, my eyes are on eternity. So nothing you can do for me can be considered too heavy for what's coming. I know it's being produced in me. And what's being produced in me is nothing compared to where I'm, that you cannot call anything heavy. Yes. Except for the weight of glory that is being produced. Yes. So our focus as believers is not the home that we're living in, not the bank account. If we're ministering the gospel, it's not how many people that are filling the seats. It is not the physical health that we have. We've created whole denominations and theologies over that. We have. It's not about all of those things. It's about keeping our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal things of God, saying, God, here am I, use me, dying to ourselves, taking up our own cross and following him and saying, God, use me wherever you want me to be. That's where I want to be. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I want to do. And it's not about all these temporal things that sometimes man praises, but is it well done, thy good and faithful servant. When Paul says this 12 years later in Second Timothy, he's writing from a dungeon where it's cold 12 years later in AD 67, and they're about to cut his head off. That wouldn't be successful in a lot of people's eyes. And there's very few people that are associating with Paul at that time because it was in the time of Nero and this massive persecution that was coming against everyone that names the name of Christ between 65 and 68 AD. So if someone comes and visits Paul in prison, he might be in trouble. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't be considered successful, but he kept his eyes upon the prize, the eternal things of God. And he said, what I'm longing to understand is well done, thy good and faithful Mm -hmm. servant. And that's not just for me, but for all of those that have loved his appearing, all of those that put their eyes upon the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of those that are living for the eternal things of God, and they're not so much concerned about the temporal things that we can see right now. Mm -hmm. Right now, they seem so important. We're living in a time, what is the date today? October 6, 2020. There's fear everywhere in the American culture about the temporal things. What's about to happen? The economy. What's going to happen to my house? What about my mortgage? What about my job? All these kind of things are such a focal point, and it shouldn't be. It should be on the eternal things. God, we're living in an opportunity 
where people are more open right now and we have to share the gospel. We have the opportunity to share the gospel. More and more people right now need to hear the gospel and we need to look at the eternal things. And yes, the temporal things are in our mindset. What about our homes? What about our jobs? How are we going to provide? God is our provider. How are we going to go through these light afflictions? Mm -hmm. From glory to glory, God is with us. And if God is with us, who can be against us? That, again, is Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? And we walk by faith. And when we live, I will say this, Chris, with the eternal things of God as our focal point, there is freedom. A big weight comes off. And we trust in God. We become dependent upon God. And our faith in God grows. And we know that the greatest place to be is in a place where you're completely dependent upon God for everything in your life. And let's close in prayer with that. And Paul, God's going to give him 12 more years before he's going to be executed from the time that he's writing this. 12 more years of sharing the gospel all around the world. He's going to go all the way to Spain. If we can believe history that he went all the way to Spain taking the gospel, God's going to use him and give him 12 more years to keep the focus on the eternal things of God. Chris, can you close us in prayer? Would love to. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the example that Paul gives us to make sure that we remember that this world is not our home. He constantly comes back and tells us how the things that are inside of us are not our focus, that we are should stay focused on the eternal. And Father, we know that you can and want to use us. And I ask that you will continue to use us, continue to teach us that the light and momentary afflictions that we may experience here are nothing compared to what is being produced in us, regardless if we're in the Western world, regardless of if we are in Asia, Europe, or anywhere else around the world. I ask that you will continue to be the one we can trust in. We don't trust in our circumstances. We don't trust in our possessions. We can't truly even trust in other people because they're all flawed. There is no shadow of turning with you. And that means you are worthy of all our trust. So we put that trust in you and we ask you to continue to teach us, continue to mold us into the image of God, which is Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.